This time of year is, is, is a time when we do two things, and the kids did both of that with us. They, they, they helped us to remember and to focus on that he came, that the Son of God came in the humility of humanity, laid in a manger, came to, to live, to suffer, to die in order to be our Savior. And at this time of year, we remember that. We remember his birth. We remember the nativity. But we remember something else. We, we also remember, we anticipate that he is coming again. And so this time of year, we've had a series focusing on that, ready for his coming. And there's one verse I want to turn to this morning, and that is a verse that tells us to be ready without regrets. What will it be like what will it be like when he comes? At his first coming, heaven's glory broke out over the field when the angels appear and the shepherds fell back in fear. Why did they draw back in fear? Why did they not say, wonderful, heaven has come near, this is great. And why were they afraid? There's something about the presence of God and his angelic powers then that brought fear to them instead so that the angels had to say, do not be afraid. We bring you good news, they said, of great joy which will be to all people. Why not to be afraid? Because unto you is born this day in the city of David, in Bethlehem, a Savior. Because there's a Savior, they need not be afraid. Well, that was his first appearance, his first coming, there in the humility of humanity, an infant child. But what about when Jesus himself returns, when he comes again, not in such seeming weakness, but in power and glory, the sovereign creator and king from whom nothing about you or I can be hidden? Will we have the same response as the shepherds. Will we fear instead of draw near? The Apostle John, somewhere late in his ministry, he's, he's an elderly grandfather spiritually now. And he addresses Christians in, in, in very gentle and compassionate and loving terms. Terms that are very appropriate for us this morning. We've just heard from the children. And there's something about watching them in praising and worshiping and, and reciting the story, believing it themselves. And we, one of the things you want for them, isn't it, is that these children would continue in that faith and in that joy. And that's what, that's what, this spiritual grandfather, John, wants for us. Listen to his words in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, so that whenever he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. What does that mean that we would shrink in shame? 
It's good to actually hear that warning. First of all, to hear it realizing that this is addressed to little children. It's a, there's a term of endearment. This is addressed to believers in Jesus, those who have walked with him, followed him, who are looking forward to his coming, and yet in that moment there could be something within us that causes us to shrink back in shame. Ashamed or embarrassed. The idea of somehow feeling unworthy. And it's something you see in the, in the scriptures. I, I think of well was mentioned by one of the scholars over here. The prophet Isaiah. And when Isaiah comes into the presence of the Lord, he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And when he sees the Lord as he is, when he sees God in his power and his glory, Isaiah sees himself as he is also. He says, woe to me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people who are unclean, and my eyes have seen the glory of God. How can I endure? How can I stand in his presence? And Isaiah, such an esteemed prophet, he withdraws in fear. Well, the answer to his fear is actually going to be in the next chapter of Isaiah, just right down the street, but I get ahead of myself. That fear could be because of the need of a Savior. I need somebody to take away my guilt. I need somebody to take away all the wrong that I've done. I need somebody who could take my place, would endure judgment for him. I need a Savior. And that's what the Son of God came for us. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. So that my guilt, my iniquity can be, can be taken away. How could the Son of God accept any one of us? On what terms, on what grounds? Well, John starts the chapter reminding them of that. He starts it with the same term of endearment, my little children. I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. He himself is the sacrifice that satisfies the debt, the burden that we owe against God for all that we as humans have done. And you're not sure that that should really, should really deserve the Creator's wrath. Just look at the mess that we've made of this place. I don't mean this room or the stage or the stuff left over from the pageant. I mean just the world at large and our own lives. We are broken people in a broken world in desperate need of our Savior. And yet unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior. God can accept us not on the basis of what we've done, but because we have one who has come to take away the debt of all of our wrong, paid in full so that we can be restored into right relationship with God with him. There is nobody who needs to be afraid of his coming. Nobody who needs to shrink back because of their own guilt, even in fact Isaiah himself. A coal is taken from the altar and he, it, a, a coal, now this seems weird, it's a, it's a strange image, but a hot call from, from the altar of heaven. There's apparently a sacrificial altar there and, and fire from that is taken and touched to his mouth and you say, how? But what did he say? I'm a man of unclean lips. And his guilt 
is met. His guilt is met from the sacrifice. And there's an image there that my guilt is met. I need not be afraid, ashamed to come into God's presence because my guilt, everything that I would be ashamed of has been covered in full by him in my place. But it might not be that it's not, no, I understand that I know my guilt is gone, but still, I, 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 I wanted, I remember wanting Jesus to come, but not, not quite just yet. There's still some more things I wanted to do. Maybe still some more folly I wanted to participate in. Maybe some more fiddling around I wanted to do before I got really serious about walking with him. Maybe I wanted a little more time simply to get my act more together so that he would be more pleased with me. As if such a loving father could be more pleased with his children whom he has given life to than he already is. Peter gives us an illustration of some of this, knowing ourselves and seeing him and and being, drawing back. When he comes... Will you be convicted or will you be confident? Will you wish for what you might have been or will you delight rather in him? Peter has already known Jesus when this, he's already been introduced to him when this event happens in Luke chapter 5. He was introduced by his Andrew back in John chapter 1. Even before things happen, start to happen with Jesus up in Galilee. But there Jesus has begun teaching and, and he comes to a point along the shore, the Sea of Galilee, that he's, there's a big crowd following and there's this place and there's a nice cove and it's sort of a hillside and a natural sort of amphitheater, a great place to teach, but the crowd is pressing in on Jesus. And it's, it's like they would push him into the water. And so he steps into Peter's boat and has him put off just a little way from the shore. And then from that floating platform, he can teach the people. And because of this hillside in a a bowl, they can all hear him. There's probably several thousand people there. They can all hear him. After he's done teaching to the multitude, he, he, he turns to Peter and he said, Peter, put out a little further into the deep and put your nets down for a catch. And there's where Peter balks. And himself, he, 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 well, he says to the Lord, Master, we have been fishing all night. They were just now tidying things up to put the nets away for the day. We've been fishing all night and they caught nothing. They're, 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 there's no fish. And now to put the nets in the daytime, where because of the daylight coming into the water, the fish would see the nets, there's no chance of a catch. And yet, because you say so, oh, if we would live that way. If we would just determine it doesn't make sense to me, but this is what God says. So that's what I'm going to do. He says, and this is the start of Peter coming closer. He says, because you say so, I will. And then, maybe you remember what happens. The catch is there's so many fish that it's breaking their nets. And in that moment, Peter knows at a deeper level, this is not merely a very good rabbi. This is somebody more. This is somebody clearly sent from heaven to us. And Peter's next words to him are, Lord, depart from me. Lord, get away from me. Lord, I am a sinful man. I cannot be in your presence. 
Peter's doing what John says we need not and we should not. Peter is shrinking back in shame. He knows himself. And he can see that this man, this rabbi, is somebody different. But Jesus replies to him, words those angels said. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Follow me. From now on, you will catch men. The same way you caught the fish, and it wasn't your fishing technique. The same way you caught the fish, you're going to catch men now. You're going to draw others to me, and it's because of you walking with me and me living in you. All of that is what Peter is telling him at the time. And they left everything. They followed him. They, if we use John's word, they abided with him. They walked with him. They learned of him. They believed what he taught them. They followed his ways. They did what he said. And he shaped them into fishers of men. That's the journey that we're on now. Even knowing my guilt is gone, my, my, my shame is forgiven, and yet I wish I had done more with this life. And yet what I need to do is lean into him and yet him live in my life. Abiding makes the difference between having confidence and assurance or feeling shame and unworthiness when Jesus appears. The difference is to abide in him. John says so. Little children, abide in him so that whenever he appears, you don't have to worry about, did I get ready in time? Abide in him so that whenever he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away. So what does it mean to abide? That's a word we don't really use so much, isn't it? What does it mean then to abide in him? The word means to, to continue. It means to dwell. It means to be at home or settled in with. It means to be at rest. It refers to a settled faith, a restful trusting. Not a striving obedience and trying to measure up out of fear, but a a restful trusting, a settled continuing. It means continuing in a, in a vital relationship with another, to abide with someone, to not withdraw or depart or wander off. I used the example in the first service. The, um, the leaders of the, of the preschool kindergarten had brought the, had, had brought the young ones over to sit right over here, and they were watching a lot of them older siblings in their Christmas program. And uh, while they're there, at one point, one of the leaders had to sit between the kids on, over there on the floor and, the, and the, the row of pews because some of those little ones did not abide, did not stay there they begin to wander off. And you don't want children to just wander off like sheep without a shepherd. And so somebody shepherded them and, and made sure they were kept track of and knew where they were going because we, like they, can tend to wander. There's a hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the Lord I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above to abide. Abide means to continue, not to withdraw. John, John describes it that way in, 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 in verse 19 of this chapter. They went out from us because they were not of us. 
If they had been of us, they would have, these were ones that continued with these Christians for a while, but they faded away, they left, or they said, oh, I don't really believe that. And they were out of there. And they didn't, he said, if they had been of us, they would have continued. There's John's word, abide. They would have abided with us. So to abide means to continue with. Strength for spiritual life comes from God's word abiding in us. God, John uses it that way. That be, he, he says, I write to you in verse 14, I write to you young men because you are strong. How are you strong? Because the word of God abides, remains, dwells. The word of God is at home in you. What a good thing to say. The word of God is at home in your life. It's probably not a normal encouragement that you would give to another, but look for somebody that you could tell that to. The Word of God is at home in your life. I see it. I see you walking in His ways. That's why we're committed in a church to, to, to equipping Christians, equipping those who have believed in Jesus in this is God's word. This is what he said to us. This is how he is call upon our life. This is who he has made us in Christ. This is what he leads us into. This is even the sacrifice that he, that, that, that he would set before us. To know him. My desire for you more than anything else. My desire for you on a Sunday morning is not to tell you what you should do. My desire for you is to open up from God's word. This is our God. This is our Savior. This is who He is. This is what He's like. This is what He's done for us. That you would fall in love with Him there. And that will have its claim on your life. I'm quite certain of that. You fall in love with the Lord who has done this for you. And that'll settle a lot of the obstacles that get in the way of following Him. Doing what He says. We abide in Christ John says in verse 24, by continuing the basic truths of the gospel. Verse 24 says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. That sounds like John chapter 1. The word was, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. And this word, the Son of God who dwelt with us, we are told in John 3, that God so loved the world, us, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. These are the basics of John's message to, to anybody, to the world. And he tells Christians, abide, continue, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will abide in the Son. You want to continue with Him? You want to walk with Him? You want to dwell with Him and have Him at home with you? That kind of vital continuing relationship that is the Christian life? Well, do this. Keep the gospel dear to your heart. Keep the gospel close at heart. And the gospel will keep you close to Him. Will you abide in him or will you wander away? John is urging Christians in this, in this verse, in this passage, John is urging us to continue trusting while we wait for his return. John says, little children, abide in him. 
that whenever he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away. To repeat, we abide in him by believing his word, by, by walking as Jesus walked, by, by sacrificing and serving the way that he did, by loving one another. John even says, those who abide in him love their brothers and sisters. That would have been good when the kids were still up here. That would have been helpful, right? Some family days. But that's true for all of us in God's family. In verse 10, John says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light. That whoever says he abides in him, in verse 6, ought to walk in the same way as he walked. We abide in him. We continue with him. We, we continue in that relationship. We continue in a restful trust, a settled faith, by believing his word, walking as he walked, loving one another, even as Jesus commanded us. In these things, we can be ready without regrets. John urges us to abide, to trust God's promise rather than trusting ourselves. Rather than trusting some other source of help, rather than trusting in some other means of significance. We all have something in us. You know, there's a, there's a brokenness from the fall of humanity that causes us to, to search for who we are. It, it causes us to try to climb up to be somebody that seems to matter. That will matter at least in the eyes of others. When God himself, the one who created us, has redeemed us to make us his own. He has, he has caused us to be restored into relationship with him through Jesus. For those who believe in him, that we can, we can be partners with him. Joining him in this grand work of redemption. Not only now, today, but into eternity. Things that we do today that will not matter merely for the next month, maybe the next year, but will matter forever. That's what God has, has, has brought us into, that we are his own. There is no greater significance. So we, went, we might look for another identity. We might look for some other way, some other recognition from others, some fulfillment that would, that would cause others to look at us, to applaud, to call us brave, successful, there's an Old Testament story that points to this tendency that we have to trust ourselves to something else, to find our fulfillment or to find our rescue, to find our help somewhere else other than the God who loves us. And it's in that Isaiah chapter 7 that I, I referred to earlier. In Isaiah chapter 7, just after Isaiah has seen the Lord in his glory, there's a new king. A young king named Ahaz, and Ahaz is threatened by his neighbors to the north. His neighbors to the north are, 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 have come to force him to join them in an alliance against another threatening superpower of the day. And he doesn't want to do it. And they're threatening that if he won't join them, that they're going to kill him and put somebody else on his throne who will go according to their plans. And Isaiah the prophet comes to him and says, do not be afraid. Instead, you need to believe that God is with us. Don't trust in them. Don't trust in anyone else. You need to trust in God, that God himself is with us. I think of John's word, abide. 
Don't go trusting elsewhere. Ahaz, the king, is told this is so important. The, the prophet invites him to ask for a sign, ask for something big, ask for something hard, because you need to believe. Isaiah says, if you do not stand in faith, you will not stand at all. If you do not abide in faith, you will not continue. You will abide in faith or you will fall. But Ahaz refuses Isaiah's offer for a sign. And so the prophet turns to the family of the king. He turns to the house of David. And he gives to the house of David in Isaiah 7, he, he, he gives them a sign how that they can know, first of all, that God is with them in this scary moment. But he also gives them a sign for the future generations. When the household of David can know when has God's king arrived who will abide in God who will lead them back into relationship, trusting God. How will they know when that king comes? Well, that's Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. This, the sign of that king's coming is the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and his name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. And 700 years later, in the city of David, Bethlehem. The angels came with words to the shepherds. Don't be afraid. Unto you is born this day in the city of David. A word brought to shepherds in the city of David that are probably themselves descendants of that royal house of David. Seemingly overrun by Rome. But unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior. The Messiah, the Lord. And the angel said, and this will be the sign for you. God has not forgot his promise. It, is, it has been fulfilled. Just as he came, he is coming again. Are you ready for his coming? Are you ready without regrets? Will you joyfully run to him as if there was nothing between you and God, no fault, no shame that would keep you away? Or will you hold back? There's some disobedience you know does not fit with closeness to the Lord. What do you do with that? John's answer, little children, is confess. Confess now. If we confess our sins, he says, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to keep cleansing us from all righteousness. That's what he did for Peter all along the way. That's what he does for me. That's what he does for you. You don't need to hold back. Confess now. Be cleansed now. Draw near. You see, it's not too late. We might wonder, couldn't, couldn't he, he wait just a little longer? Could he, could he delay just a bit so that I can have a little more time, get myself ready? You have time you have this morning. I don't mean time to get a whole lot more done. Just time to right now. Draw near. Rest not only in your technical standing of guilt, 
but rest even in the failures of uh, rest even in him for those things that you'd want to do but you just haven't done you can rest there in him little children abide in him so that whenever he appears we may have confidence that we may as Clarissa read earlier, boldly approach the throne of grace. We may have confidence in him because of him and not shrink away in shame at his coming. And one of the things that that does, if we're confident in his coming, in our standing and his delight to draw us near then, in that most powerful of moments, then what is there then that could be keeping me away today? What could be keeping me away in the meantime? He loves me. Abide in him. Be confident in him. Rest in him. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning, first for anyone that is not sure that their guilt is truly settled with God. They've known of Jesus, perhaps like Peter there on the boat that day, but still they would have to say, Lord, depart from me. I'm not worthy. I'm a sinful person. And yet, Jesus came and died to bear away our sin for all who will accept that gift of life. Lord, today I pray that by your Spirit, opening spiritual eyes, someone who's not yet sure could know today that Jesus did not die for the sins of the world merely. Jesus died for me. He has paid the debt of my guilt before God to restore me to God. And Lord, on that same basis, I would pray for every one of us that would know of something in ourselves that doesn't quite measure up to the will of God for human life. And yet, Lord, if you have, if Jesus has covered and removed all of our sin, then he has removed that also. And Lord, then help us. Help us again this morning then to confess anything in our hearts that's between us and you so that we can rest abide, joyfully trust, and longingly await your coming for us instead of holding back. And Lord, because we've no need, no fear to hold back in that day, we have no need to hold back today. In giving our life to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.